0: Well, good morning to every single one of you, and thank you for joining us. Uh, I also would like to thank uh, Matt and his entire team here at Tri-City for choosing to invite me to come and open the Word of God with, with you and study this phenomenal story uh, from the book of Esther. So this morning we find, ourselves, we find ourselves in Esther chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, you want to grab it, turn to Esther chapter 5. Now, I want you to imagine, if you will with me, imagine if you are traveling to, you traveled to a foreign uh, country. So let's say you went to Kenya, the country of my birth, and there you were, you were working and trying to, you moved there to find a better life for your family, let's say, and you began working, and then by God's providence, you, you advanced in business and things were going really well for you, and life was very, very, very comfortable for you in this foreign country. And then you also had opportunities to mingle with with the elite of of the country, the big politicians, the president even, various members of parliament were part of the people whom you would hang out in your circle. And then you learned of an injustice that was happening, a significant injustice that was happening that bothered you significantly. Now remember, You have advanced, you have wealth, you have comfort, you have homes, property, life is good, your kids are doing well, the future looks bright, but then there is this injustice here that you kind of feel like you need to address. But if you open your mouth and you begin to address this injustice, the likelihood of you losing everything you have is great. You might lose your job or your business. You might lose your property, you might even lose your life if you opened your mouth and began to address this particular injustice. The question I have for you today is, would you? Would you address the injustice that you are looking at, seeing, that you are made aware of? Would you do it? See, last week, Pastor Matt spoke from Esther chapter 4, and what's interesting is that That uh, chapter ends with this massive cliffhanger. See, we had uh, this king, the king who um, had a confidant called Haman. And Haman, now the king's confidant, had ordered the killing of all the Jews in the king's name. And so all these Jews are concerned, and Mordecai, who's one of the Jews comes to the queen Esther, Esther who happens to be Mordecai's cousin if you've been following the story with us. And so Mordecai is telling Esther, "Please, please, please plead with the king for the sake of of our people, the Jews." Now, Esther hadn't told the king that she's Jewish herself. So this is a little secret that she has kept. And so Esther is wrestling with this thing, and so in chapter 4 as we saw last week, Esther requests Mordecai Tells him, okay, go and round up all the Jews and tell them to fast for three days and to pray. No sleeping, no eating. You fast and pray, and I will fast and pray. And then I will go and present myself before the king. Now, there was a law in the day, back in Persia, that you never came to the king. You never approached the king uninvited. If you did so, you would die, like you're basically taking your life in your own hands. Esther hasn't been invited to come to the king, so she's telling Mordecai, go fast and pray, and not just you, all the Jews, and I'll do the same, and then on the third day, I'll go to the king. I'll basically take my life in my own hands, and I'll approach the king, and so we pick up the story. This is now day three. They've been fasting three days. We pick up the story, Esther chapter 5. So what we'll do here this morning is this. We'll enjoy this story. We'll read it slowly. And we'll pause in between. And I'll explain and fill in the blanks. It's a phenomenal story. And then after that, there are two things that I'd like us to learn from the the characters that we will encounter in this story. So, Esther chapter 5 verse 1. On the third day... Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance of the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Let's pause there for a moment. So this is three days later. She's been fasting and praying, and then she's basically taking her life in her hands. And she comes, and she stands right there. And the king was seated on his throne, and is looking across, and there he sees Queen Esther. Now, this is the moment, like, I would like you to imagine if this was a movie. At this point, you'd now have this music wondering, what will happen next? See, this is a very unpredictable king. This king valued his, his um, advisors and the wise men around him more than he did the queen even. Remember what happened to Queen Vashti in chapter 1 and 2? So Esther knows that, hey... This king hasn't seen me in a month. In other words, he hasn't even summoned for me. He hasn't called me to his presence for a month. And now I'm going to go and present myself before him. Basically, she's taking her life in her own hands. At this point, there are no beauty treatments here. There is no seductive preparations that she's made as we see In chapter 2, no, she's just in her royal robe taking her life in her own hands and she presents herself before the king. The king looks at her. Oh, she wins favor in his sight. And so he stretches this golden scepter and she comes and she touches the tip. Now... We may say, phew, that's great, but that's just the first hurdle. There are many more hurdles to come. Let's read on. Verse 3. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then uh, Esther answered, My wish and my request is, is... If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I have prepared for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Let's pause there. Here's a question, a big fat question. Why, oh why, does Esther want Haman present? Twice. Why? Think of it this way. Esther here is now going to be a whistleblower. Who is responsible for the plight that the Jews are about to face here? Haman is. If anything, he has paid, bribed the king millions of dollars. Hundreds of millions of dollars. I'll explain later where I get these hundreds of millions of dollars from has paid the king, bribed the king so that the king can say, yes. Let the Jews be slaughtered. This is Haman who's been responsible for this. So you'd think that Esther would come before the king and and want Haman away and then she could probably kind of whisper in the king's ear and tell the king, king, you know, uh, there is this dude called Haman, you your right-hand guy, and this is what he did. And this is wrong and unjust. While Haman is away, she doesn't do this. She wants Haman present. So, what's going on here? Now, the king is feeling very generous here, and so he asks the queen, hey, what is your wish? It shall be granted to you. What is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, It shall be fulfilled. Now, this is not to be taken literally, that actually the king was going to give Esther half his kingdom. Basically, that was a statement that many kings in those days would make to show how generous they are and how gracious they are. So, in other words, it's for the people to say, Oh, our king, oh, our king is such a generous individual. But then Esther doesn't reveal what her request is. All she says the first time when she comes in and the king extends the scepter and she touches it, the king asks, hey, what do you want? What do you like? And she says, actually, uh, why don't you come to this banquet and I'll tell you. And so they go with Haman to the banquet and the king asks the same question again and Esther says, actually, there's another banquet that I'll have, that I've put together for you tomorrow. Come. See, the first time Esther has just crossed the first hurdle, where she's presented herself before the king uninvited. But then these bigger hurdles that she has to overcome, the first would be, hey, she has to get the king to overturn this edict that he has already pronounced. He has issued issued this edict in, in his name to the entire empire. So now she has to get him to overturn this. Not only that... She would have to reveal her identity as a Jew. And she hadn't done that before. Third, she has to call out the second most powerful person in the kingdom. This is a massive ask. So the question then here would be, is Esther getting cold feet? Is she scared of Asking the king. Look at verse 7 again. Then Esther answered when the king is asking, What would you like? My wish and my request is, is, there's almost a little pause there, is verse 8. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and, my, and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I've prepared for them and tomorrow. I will do as the king has said. Now question, did you see what she just did there? You might have missed it. You might have missed what Esther did there. Notice, she knows it's a massive ask. And so before the ask, she will verbalize the reception that she's getting from the king. What do I mean by that? She will say in verse 8, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. In other words, Esther has just baited the king. How? King, if truly I have found favor... If truly you want to say yes to my request, come to the banquet. In other words, you showing up at the banquet means you're going to say yes. (laughs) What does the king do? He says, sure, I will come. In other words, Esther now knows the king is in my pocket. Haman has no idea what's going on here. Because now Esther has the king's ear. There is no way the king is turning back now. And so you see how Esther has overcome these hurdles. The king and Haman are showing up at the banquet tomorrow. Verse nine. What happens next? And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose or trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai, nevertheless. Haman restrained himself and went home and sent and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, and all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king." Then Haman said, even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I'm invited by her together with the king. And yet, all this is worth nothing to me as long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Let's pause there. So what's going on here? Haman is the second most powerful person in the land. He has the highest ranking seat in the entire kingdom. He is a very wealthy man, if anything. He had offered the king 10,000 talents of silver so that the king could issue this edict so that Haman could proceed with this genocide the killing of all the Jews in the entire known world. How much is 10,000 talents of silver? We are talking about over 300 tons worth of silver. So in today's dollars, that is well over $100 million. Well over $100 million is what this guy was offering The king, So he was rich. But then he's really bothered by Haman there. So he just ignores Haman because Haman is not standing up and trembling at his presence. So he goes home and then he calls his buddies and he calls his wife. And then he begins to brag how rich he is. Obviously, a hundred million dollars, you are loaded for sure. So he begins to brag how rich he is. And then the number of his sons. Now you may be asking, what's up with that? Like, why are you bragging about your 10 sons? Like, it doesn't really matter how many sons you have. What's your problem? See, in Persia, what the kings in Persia used to do, any man, a man who had the most sons in the kingdom would receive every year a special gift from the king because it was believed, if you're a man and you have so many sons, man, you are a, you're quite the man because you have so, you've fathered so many sons, you're quite the guy. You're the man's man. So the king, (laughs) the king, yeah, Matt is saying amen. The king. (laughs) The king would then send you a special gift to in recognition of how much of a man you are. And so this is Haman, had ten. And so he's bragging about his sons, bragging about how, how the king has honored him, how he has really elevated him to the second most powerful seat in the entire kingdom. But, 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 he's filled with rage. Why? Haman the Jew. Or if you're reading the NIV version, That Jew, Haman. Haman wasn't standing up and showing Mordecai the honor that Mordecai thought he should have. Absolutely not. Mordecai's resistance to this, his insubordination, Haman was not having it at all. It was really rubbing him, sandpapering him the wrong way. So my question to you then is, so imagine if you, have a, if you had a friend like Haman. Rich beyond riches. Position of honor. People fear you. And then you just have this kind of one insignificant guy. This person whose people are in your nation are slaves. This one insignificant guy is not giving you the respect you think you should have. Supposing you had a friend like this, what would you say to them? Of course, you'd remind them, "Dude, you have ten sons, huh? You have all these riches. You have power. You have might. You have clout. Like ignore this little idiot. Ignore him." Is what you would probably say. But is that what his wife and his buddies say? Verse 14. Then his wife Zerah, and all his friends said to him. Let a gallows 50 cubits high. That's about 75 feet. Let a gallows 50 cubits high be made. And in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman. And he had the gallows made. Cliffhanger. The chapter is over. This is a remarkable story. My goodness, Hollywood should make a movie and a good one. Like, wow, what a, what a story here. Like, just the twists and the turns. Here you have Mordecai, who's refused to bow. Haman, who's so angry, and he gets advice from his family, his wife, and his buddies. Hey, how about you just build a big pole, 75 feet high, and have the king order... Mordecai to be hanged on this one. And Haman is like, oh, this is the best idea ever. And he has it built. So what do we learn? What do we learn from this remarkable story? We will learn something from Haman, and then we will learn something from Esther. So Haman first. What do we learn from this guy? We learn the perils of idolatry. The perils of of idolatry. What is Haman's problem? What is the issue with this man? He had ascended to the pinnacle of his career. He had arrived. This is someone who had status. He had authority. He had prestige. He had wealth. He had it all. He had a large family. He had 10 sons. He had it all, and yet he was absolutely bothered by Mordecai's disapproval of him. Question, why? Why is he so bothered by Mordecai's disapproval of him? Mordecai the Jew. He was so bothered that it wasn't just Mordecai that he was going to deal with, but he was going to deal with with the entire Jewish race. That's how mad he was. See, I'm going to suggest this. Haman's anger was just, and his frustration with Mordecai was just a presenting problem. I believe when I came and I preached here before I talked about idolatry. Your anger and your frustration is just a presenting problem. There's a deeper issue. You might be coughing, 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 and oh man, why do you have ever cough? There's a deeper problem. COVID-19 maybe. There's a deeper issue that is causing Haman to be so angry. A good example would be, so when my son was younger, I have a 15-year-old son. So when he was younger, my wife and I would pay 300 bucks Every quarter or so and then he would join this soccer team and I used to play soccer quite a bit when I was younger And so I would take him to these games and we we're cold on shivering and all that i would take my son to this game and i would be yelling at him Caleb score kick the ball shoot it pass 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 Don't miss don't miss and I'll be yelling and yelling At my son because I want him to play well. I mean I had shelled out 300 bucks I mean, I don't want you to suck after me paying 300 bucks. I want you to play well And there I am yelling at my son, and let's say he didn't have a good game. So that, after the game, we jump in the vehicle, we're driving home, and I'm really riding my son. You know, you should have done this, done that. You know, son, I used to play. I was really good, blah, blah, blah. We get home. He walks in. He's so angry, and I'm angry, and mom looks at him. What's wrong, Caleb? Well, dad has been riding on me and just giving me a hard time and yelling. My wife looks at me. What is wrong with you? I mean, he's not playing well. My frustration is a presenting problem. What's the issue? See, the issue is this, is my pride. Why? I want all the other parents who are there to look at me and say, oh, that's his son. Hmm, it's all about me. It's all about me. Because I want the other parents, it's not that they praise Caleb, no. I want all the other parents there to look at Ezra and think, man, that's, a, that's his boy, that's his boy. He just scored. Best player on the team, his boy. It's all about me. That's why I'm frustrated. And so when Caleb is playing poorly, all the parents are kind of like, oh my goodness, he's son. And it's almost like a statement against me. See, my anger and frustration presenting problems. It's just a presenting problem. The deeper issue is I want the approval of others. The same thing with Haman. His frustration with Mordecai was just a presenting problem. His wrath and anger a presenting problem of a deeper issue. What's the issue? Pride. He wanted approval, he wanted pride, and his ego mattered to him more than anything else. And because Mordecai was not giving him the approval he was looking for, the approval that Haman cared about the most, Oh, Haman's ego could not stomach it. You see, that is idolatry right there. He was worshiping this idol called approval of others to be looked at as the man's man because he had 10 cents and all these riches and positions of honor. Consider this little quote about idolatry from Tim Keller. who was a pastor of a church in New York Keller says this, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. An idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. It can be family and children, or career and making money, or achievement, and critical acclaim, or saving face and social um, standing. It can be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty or your brains. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something. But perhaps the best one is worship. Question. So, what's more important to you than God? What's more important to you than God? What absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God? What? Is there something other than God in your life that makes you feel significant and secure? Could be your bank account could be your looks, it could be your status, it could be your position, it could be even the good things that you do for God. Serving God could become an idol because you could value that service more than you value the one whom you're serving. See, the gospel reminds us The gospel reminds us that our identity ought to be found in Christ. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You don't belong to you. You don't belong to you. This means Christ is, should be, must be our priority He must absorb our hearts. He must absorb our imagination, Christ. We live our lives, we ought to live our lives with this eternal perspective. This life is temporary. Don't waste it. Don't waste it on idols that will never deliver. So, idolatry. Second thing we learn, and this one from Esther. So in Esther chapter four, verse sixteen, this is the last chap the last verse, last week's last verse. This is what Esther tells Mordecai. She says, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days for for three days, day or night. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. That right there is a remarkable statement from Esther. Why do I say that? Because in chapter 5, verse 1, you see that she goes and she stands Wearing her royal robe, she goes and presents herself to the king, uninvited, basically taking her own life in her hands. In other words, at this particular point, when Esther was dressing herself on the third day, and she decided to leave the queen's quarters and walk all the way down across the, the in, in, in the hallways of the palace so that she now comes to the throne room where the king is and present herself uninvited. What Esther was doing there is she was now putting her prestige, her royal comforts, the crown on the line is what she was doing. She was willing to lose all. All those things for the sake of justice. She was willing to lose her life. She didn't just talk the talk. She walked the walk. She was thoughtful, strategic, courageous, willing to sacrifice her personal comforts for the sake of others. Now hear me very clearly here. See, what's happening in this chapter is now where we see Haman's real issue, one of his issues. See, he had a beef with Mordecai. But it's not just Mordecai the person. It is Mordecai the Jew that he had issues with. Esther spoke up for the racially oppressed and sought justice for them, is what Esther is doing here. She sets an example for us to follow. We need need not just to talk the talk, but we need to walk the walk. We need to speak up for the oppressed, and say no to prejudice. We need to stand up and speak out for the marginalized, the abused, and the neglected. We need to do so peacefully and yet persuasively while listening and empathizing with those who have been on the receiving end of injustice. Now, there is no denying, we remember last year, This huge movement, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. It's easy for me to speak like that because I'm a black guy. Yes, Black Lives Matter, sure. Racism is a big deal that needs to be addressed, and rightly so. But, 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 hear me, it's not the only issue that we need to be addressing. It's not the only issue. Yes, rights and systemic racism against black people needs to be addressed. True, yes, it needs to. It's not the only issue. Not the only issue. There are other issues that need to be addressed. Poverty is an issue that needs to be addressed. Poverty here in Canada needs to be addressed. The plight of the First Nations community that's a big deal that needs to be addressed. The injustices that our First Nations uh, neighbors, fellow Canadians, it's an issue that needs to be addressed. And yes, it makes us uncomfortable. Yes, I need you to feel uncomfortable. Because Esther, Mordecai, the Jews, weren't comfortable either. The plight of asylum seekers, people who are running away from other nations because of all sorts of atrocities happening to them, coming to Canada, and they come here, and they're seeking asylum, seeking a better life. Innocent people who's speaking up for them. What about intimate partner violence? You, many of us don't know this, but behind closed doors, yeah, we may look nice, and we dress nice, and we smell nice, our hair is gelled, if you have hair. Uh, like. All this, all this, yeah, we look a certain way, and yet behind closed doors, our children, our spouses, people who live with us are facing significant abuse. This abuse is not just happening among the poor, rough neighborhoods, no. No, 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 no. So our police, um, police departments in various cities a huge number of their responses have to do with domestic violence. Who's speaking up? Speaking up for those who are being abused behind closed doors. And then the big one. The big one that we don't, yeah, we know it's there, we have convictions about it, but we don't say anything, abortion. The rights of the unborn child Who's going to speak up? Yeah, opening your mouth in our culture on these issues is going to bring a storm to your door, I know. Who's gonna speak up for these issues? These are some of the most contentious issues of our day. And if you open your mouth to speak up on these things, they might cost you big time. Might cost you Dearly, So the question we might ask ourselves is, so why? Why inconvenience your life? Why would you open your mouth and inconvenience your life and speak up on these issues? Because the gospel compels us to do so. How, you may ask. Well... The gospel calls us to care for the sojourner and the widow. The gospel calls us to care for the poor and the orphan, to defend the rights of the oppressed. And we do all these things at great personal cost. Jesus tells this parable in Luke 10 about the good Samaritan. What's the point of the story of the good Samaritan? At great personal cost. Great personal cost. You definitely go out and speak up and help others at great cost. See, the reason we do this is because Christ himself, what did Christ do? At great personal cost, humbled himself, taking the form of a servant, and he died on the cross for our redemption. Did he not do this? He did. See, this is what we can learn from this remarkable queen, Esther. May the Lord help us to abandon our idols and make Christ our true treasure. And may the Lord grant us courage. Grant you, grant me, grant all of us courage to stand up even at great personal cost, and speak up for the oppressed and the injustices that are happening in our day. We do so because the gospel compels us to do so. Let us pray. So Father, thank you. Thank you for this few moments that you have given us to interact with the book of Esther. And Lord, what a remarkable story. What a remarkable story of courage, selfless sacrifice that we see from Esther, willing to put herself on the line for the sake of the oppressed. Thank you for the things that we can learn even looking at Haman's life, where he has all these blessings and yet, idolatry has a deep root in his heart that will eventually lead to his demise father how I pray how I pray Lord that you'd help each of us identify the idols in our lives and that we would put them to death but not only that Lord I pray that you'd help us grant us courage by your spirit help us Lord to speak up against the injustices that are happening in our community around us and even around the world. Enable your servants, Father, to be good Samaritans. Help us to be true disciples of Jesus that we may do kingdom work in our day. We commend ourselves now, Father, to you. In Jesus' name, amen.